For great is your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you for being here with us, for loving us, and revealing yourself to us, for you are so worthy. We praise you, Jesus, and we ask that as we gather, as we read your word and study and pray, that you would prepare our hearts to be good soil, that your spirit would work its way into every part of our house, the holly of our life, every room, would you have your way, Jesus. We thank you for being here. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Let me pray for us. And let's continue to worship God through studying the word together. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that all scripture is breathed out by God. And we believe, God, even if we have just taken three verses, and tonight we're just going to take three words from these three verses, we know that the word of God is living and active, and it is sharp. And it penetrates and it cuts. And we need your help. None of us can truly grasp and be moved by and believe on the Holy Scriptures without you, the Holy Spirit, to move. What a beautiful book to open. And the author is always present. So you, Lord God, Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth. Teach us from observation to teaching, to preaching, to everything right now that is about to happen in these moments, you must be most active and at work. Awaken us, alert us, grab our attention and our affections if you haven't just yet. Thanks be to God for your grace, for gathering us. Thank you for the songs that come from the Bible. Thank you for the scripture reading that's from the Bible. And now as we get into learning and teaching and preaching and understanding, it all comes from the Bible. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us in this way by giving us such a big book about you. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen. We're going to look all at that. I mean, that's all. That's what we're honing in on tonight. The pastor and his handling of the word. Can, can the brother handle it? Can he teach it? Um, and so what's good, though, is you're already seeing this all, how it flows together. There needs to be a desire, a willingness, a downness, a burden, a desire, a really want to do this. But then he's got to also have the ability to carry it out. And so we're going we're gonna to chew and gnaw on that tonight. Um, and so a big hope is mine. And, you know, I think Jared was saying, you know, as we're looking for, Hannah says we're vetting. I mean, yeah, we... In the life of our church right now, even in our, and I talked about this last week, we're in the process of restructuring our bylaws and church polity to a plurality of leaders and pastors. And if by the grace of God, which I pray he does, adds and brings more qualified men to the table, more pastors, more elders 
to that responsibility, to that office, we, the church, we need to know how to assess them, how to pray for them, how to affirm if, in fact, these are men who are qualified to serve as pastors. So I am loving that you, we, the church, the members, even visitors that may be in the house, if you're in this, you're interested in this, you should be. Because even though plenty of people call Timothy the pastoral epistles, it's not merely for pastors. My big argument is actually it's more for the church to get this, given the, the context and the circumstance of this church that has been spiritually abused and falsely taught, and now they're being retaught what it's supposed to look like, what a gospel community is to look like. And now we're at this part in the letter of what the leadership is supposed to look like. And, and now you just got to imagine, try to imagine, you've been a part of a church and you're spiritually abused. And I don't know how long they've been sitting under these false teachers, but you got to try to really feel the vibe and the mood when they get to this part of the letter. I'm thinking this part of the letter is hard for a lot of the church to swallow. And, and that's why Paul starts with, here's a trustworthy saying, right? And so I, I did also speak to the person last week. If you uh, have wounds and scars from being sitting under or participating in, and I gave a little bit of my own testimony and story, um, and you have wounds of being under unhealthy leadership or bad Bible teaching, and if you're still working through those things, or if you're here tonight, uh, my encouragement, my prayer is that there's so much hope in this. There's so much hope in this whole letter. The point that Paul is now unpacking a whole chapter given to church leadership is Ephesian church still can. You guys still can be a city on a hill, a lampstand that's going to burn bright. And so wherever we are coming from, because I know that maybe some of us, this is your first church and others, this is not. And I don't know what happened in between, but, 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 thanks be to God for the Bible, because it has the ability to redeem and restore, and we have a chance, and that's why I spoke to the children last week, I'm so excited you're here, and that you're eager, you're listening, you're taking notes, because for the future now of our church, you little ones need to know this most, because like I told you guys last week, Pastor Bob, Johnny, and myself, we're not going to be your pastors forever. We may not be here forever, but the Bible will be here forever. And the Bible is going to teach us how to make sure we have right pastoral leadership, even if something were to happen to us. So I love the alertness, the attentiveness. If you had observations, hold on to it. Write them down. I'm going to hop straight into it. We're only looking at a, that little part, able to teach. Um, these are the qualifications. I call them the musts for men in ministry. We're going to see a series of this. The first must we saw last week was his personal holiness. We saw all those character attributes, right? The pastor must be a man of Christ-like. What? Say it. I see everyone going. Character. Christ-like character. And tonight we're looking at he must be a man who handles the word of God. Okay. So that's where we're going. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I, I appreciate a lot of you who said, thanks for going slow. I was like, oh, right on. I, I, do, I like slow. <laughs> I'm a slow reader, so I'm glad that I'm in good company. But the, and, and, and I want to go slow, though, because these are things that you don't want to just breeze through. 
and breeze by. Um, okay, so last week we looked at his character. And this week we're going to look at his handling of the word. And just before we get straight into the, the, the words today of able to teach, remember when you think of character, and I talked a little bit about this last week, but I'm going to talk a little bit more now. Can you, can you just pick up character at Walmart? Can you just go order some hospitality off Amazon? You know, it doesn't, can you just take a pill for self-control? Some people wish they could, right? But see, all these things, like all these attributes that we saw, like um, above reproachness. You can't, you can't just read a book on being above reproach and then, boom, you got it. Has anyone in the house ever read a book on prayer? And then yet still the week after you struggle with what? Why? Because character takes time. Romans 5, it says this. Not only that we rejoice in sufferings, but suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And then character, hope. Character comes from suffering. James 1, it says this. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds. The testing of your faith, testing produces steadfastness, and then steadfastness, when it has its full effect, it, it gives you a mature, complete character. It is impossible to build character without suffering, trials, hardship. The pastorate, the noble task, is for men who have learned to suffer well and are still learning to suffer well, now mingled in all of this character-building attributes that we've been studying, mingled right in the middle, and I think it's brilliant, Paul wedges the one skill set that would separate the pastor from the deacon. The one skill set that would separate, because all these character attributes is for all of us, right? All Christians are to aspire to this. But now this is the one thing that would set apart the man who is called to this particular office. And this is why I wanted to spend a whole evening just talking about this one thing. Because I would even argue that much of the disqualifications or a lot of reasons why a lot of pastors disqualify themselves in the ministry, maybe not even just today, but back then, because that's happening in Ephesus, is because pastors could not see how the personal holiness of the man and the handling of the word go hand in hand. There's too much of a separation. We cannot divorce personal holiness and handling the word. We can't divorce the pulpit from the private life of the man. This is why I think Paul mingles it right in the middle. Right in the middle. I believe, and I'm very passionate about this, that much of the lack of pastors in the ministry today is because there may be loads and loads and loads of attention on able to teach in the pulpit and very little attention on the personal holiness of the man. That's why we spent, and I've been belaboring all last week and even a little bit some tonight, that please, church, please pray for your pastor's devotions. Pray for our marriage. Pray for our character, our desires to follow Jesus. That is so key. I want what we think. When we think first of the pastorate, we must think first Christ-like character. First. First and foremost. Now, with that said, 
it says here, with a Christ-like character, he must have the gift, the skill, the ability to teach. He's got to. So tonight, that's all we're going to look at. This may seem kind of obvious. This may seem like, how are you going to fill up 45 minutes of just able to teach? But, you know, it's interesting because this seems to always be a perennial problem in the church, in the pastorate. Undisciplined, untrained men who are unable to handle the word of God right. So, this is big. This is Big. I said this last week, your public ministry will be as powerful as your private worship. We can't divorce the word, handling it, and the holiness of the man. Now, with that said, Brada's got to teach. I'm going to give you three identifications of how we can identify an able teacher. All right? How do we know if a pastor is rightly handling the word of God? And I'll give you three things, and we'll go through them slowly. And I'm so excited, I'm so thankful that you guys seem very attentive and very concerned because this is important, guys. This is not about merely the pastorate. And this is not merely about just us having a healthy church. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ being passed on from one generation to the next and God getting the glory. This is big. This is so big. So thank you for being attentive. Thank you for hungering the Bible tonight. And so as we learn together, let's think of not just our present pastors today and like prayed in worship time. Thank you, Jesus, for our pastors and our team but the future pastors of this church. Maybe, there, maybe one of you are in the house tonight, and maybe one day I'll be on the front row listening to you teach the Bible. But we need to, as a church family, get ready. Okay, how do we identify and affirm and encourage the pastor who's able to teach? So here we go. The first thing, big, broad point is this. Pastors are to be men who rightly handle the word of God. Okay, so didaskalos, like I said, in the English, it's three words, able to teach. In the Greek, it's one. It is a person. It's simple. It's not complicated. Able to teach. He's apt to explain. He can unpack. He can open up. He can show you something, and then something that never makes sense now makes sense. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I want to cross this really quick, because does that mean all pastors are to be in the pulpit ministry primarily? Does that mean because in our bylaws, if we're moving into a place where we want to have a plurality, right now we have three pastors, I would love times four of that. How cool would that be to have 12 pastors? We're not a big, huge church, but I do believe the Bible teaches pastors are gifts to the church, and I sure think we could use some more. Don't you want more gifts, more men who are able to explain this big of a book? And so... I have this question, and I'm wondering if you're having the question, does that mean when a, when a pastor, when it says an overseer must be able to teach, he's got to be able to preach publicly in this setting or like on a Sunday all the time? Now, I do think he should be able to preach a sermon, but does that, does that mean it needs to be his primary means of teaching ministry? There's many ways to teach the what? 
the word. Many ways. And I want to address um, this first because it's important. Because if we're considering really deepening our bench of pastors, this is something we need to learn and understand. Acts chapter 20, I'll read it to you. You can write it or turn there if you're fast with your fingers. Um, Verse 7, it says this. On the first day of the week, which is the Lord's day when we gathered, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until morning. So that's a sermon. So if you think these are long tonight, no, no, this one went all the way till midnight. Um, And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. So that's a large crowd Lord's Day setting kind of teaching. So that's one form of of teaching. In the same chapter, verse 20, he says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that's profitable. And I taught you in public and from house to house. That's a small group private setting. So we have big public corporate preaching, and then we have small group setting. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is just a chapter ahead, verse 14 and 15, it says, I hope to come to you, but if I don't can, if I'm delayed, I'm writing these things to you. I'm write, this, this is a written letter we are reading from the Apostle Paul. So that's another form of teaching. It's writing. Some brothers will be incredibly gifted at writing books and articles and structuring sentences in ways that is just so awesome teaching. Other brothers, they're going to just, they're going to flourish in one-on-one discipleship counseling sessions or classroom settings. Or So I just want us to see really quick before we kind of get into these other marks of a teachable, uh, of an able-to-teach man, that elders might show an aptness to teach even if they're not primarily gifted at public preaching from the pulpit. Okay? So if there's men in the house and you have aspirations for the office, don't think that you must have to always do like this. You should be able to deliver it, but it may not be your primary call and vocation for your pastoring. This is very, very important. There's a variety of ways to eat the Bible. And can you imagine now? If you and I were part of a church that had gifted, able to teach men who could teach in all those forms, how much more we could grow and feed on the word of God. But bottom line, they must be men who have a giftedness, a functioning ability to teach. We'll look more at that in a little bit. But this one qualification, it does. It sets apart from the deacon. We'll look at that when we come not everyone in the church is going to have the gift to teach. That's just, and shouldn't have. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We can't all be on the eyeball, right? But if you're aspiring for the office, and what's very encouraging is the pastors and I have heard of men approaching and saying, I think I have a burning desire. And that's so awesome. That is so cool. But if you have that aspiration, or sisters, or children, if you notice there's others who have that, uh, uh, men in our church who have that aspiration, you can want it, but you must have the gift to teach. And let me be clear on this, it is a gift. It's a gift that can be honed, it can be strengthened, I'm constantly trying to strengthen my ability. I'm sure Pastor Johnny and Pastor Bob, we're constantly trying to work at it. We want to be better than we were last week. But it's still a gift. It's still grace. 1 Timothy 4 says this, Paul to Timothy, don't neglect the gift you have which is given you. 
Practice it. Immerse yourself in it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. This reason I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. So any effective Bible teacher who has begun to get prideful and tantaran, that man must humble himself and remember, that's a gift. And God can sure take it. He can take this from me anytime he wants. It's just a gift. And you know what the gift is given for? The building up, the edifying of the church to the glory of God. This is not about us. That's why the pulpit's not a platform for the man to shine. It's a pulpit, it's a desk, it's a sacred desk for us to lift up the Bible and shine the lights on Christ. I truthfully still very much at times to this day, I'm kind of struck and stunned that God would even call me to be doing what I'm doing. Like, straight up. I'm a very unschooled, ordinary brought up. And all through grade school, I suffered and failed miserably in public presentation. I'm not lying. So, so what's, how do you explain that? How, what's the conclusion? There is a God. <laughs> and he is good. <laughs> and he, he showers people with grace however he sees fit. And for however long I'm on the earth or might participate in this way in the body, whether I'm scrubbing a toilet or preparing a sermon, I don't care. As long as I'm part of the family of God. As long as the blood of Christ has atoned me and saved me, I know where I'm going. And I got chores to do until we go home. And if this is one of the things Jesus wants me to do, so be it. It's a gift. It's nothing to brag about. A man is tested by the praise he receives. So brothers, because I know I'm not the only gifted teacher in this church, when people shower you with with affirmation and encouragement. Wow, when you said this, when you did that, when you taught this and preached that, I was so, thank God, take that in, say thank you, but remember, that's a gift. Go give the glory to where it belongs. By the grace of God, we are what we are. That's what Paul says. So here we go. The first mark of an able teacher is this. Able teachers are teachable. Able teachers are teachable. You rightly handle something when you've rightly learned it. Great teachers are often greatly teachable. The best teachers are the best students. Pastors are to be men who love to learn. Ever since I got hooked on the Bible, I just love asking questions. I just love it. I, 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 when I was a high school student, like, that's why I was, I was praising Olivia so much, because that's a gift that you, you have if you really love learning and you see it as a privilege. When I was in high school, I was the kind of guy who walked around with a folder and, and a piece of paper in, in the folder, and I left all my textbooks in the classroom, and I had a pencil in my ear. And I say that as not a good example of someone that's teachable. I just was like, whatever. And I just, that's too much to carry. And then when I show up at the class, I would look for the person that I thought was the most competent in the class, sit by them. Yeah, like borrow paper, can. You only get one. That was me in high school. And, and, I, and I attribute this. By the grace of God, when the Bible grabbed my heart, I then realized what Olivia realized, that learning is bomb. I love learning. I love asking questions. And I'm okay with I don't know. Because I don't know. But this brought a like no. 
You see that able teachers are teachable. Let me give you some scripture, though. 2 Timothy 2.15, he tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no shame, rightly handling the word of truth. That was my translation, no shame. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. All right, that's the local version. No shame. I want to know, do your best. That's someone, a pastor is someone who studies hard. He gives it all he got so that he could rightly handle the word. Titus 1.9 says this, He, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as was taught. Meaning he needed it to be taught. He needed to learn it first. So that he'll be able to give instruction. You see, able to teach people are teachable. They don't come to the place of, I know already. They're not that type of personality. Other than Christ, arguably probably the best Bible teacher in all the history of the church, the Apostle Paul, outside of Christ. Let me read this. 2 Timothy 4.13, he writes to Timothy, this is the last of his days. Hey, Timmy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. He can bring my jacket, because cold in this prison cell. And then this is what he says. Oh, also, can you bring the books? And above all the parchments. He's about to go into glory. This guy has taught the Bible like it's nobody's business. And you know what he wants to do till his dying day as an old man? Where's my books? Bring my books and something to write with. Because I got a lot more to learn. And I got a lot more to pour out. That is, I read that verse. I think that is so cool. If I get to see old years, because I may not. But if I get to, if I get to see old years, I want to go out like that. Just old and learning to my dying day. I love that. Like I said earlier, there may be future pastors in the house tonight. And I hope to one day when I'm too old to stand up in a pulpit here or I just can't keep my wits or whatever. I hope to be sitting there on the front row, cane and all, taking notes, learning from you, young man, because you're standing upon the word of God. And I need to learn it to my dying day. You see, that's an able to teach person is someone who's teachable. Let's, let's think of Jesus a little bit. You remember when he was age 12? Come on, Kiki, you know this story, right? At age 12, what was he doing? He had sleepovers at church. Stayed three days. Parents was like, oh, where's Jesus? Right? They went, they found him sitting among the what? The teachers asking questions. Just modeling for us. And then it says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. This learning heart, this teachable heart. Church, I pray that our, our church family here, because this is an attribute we are to all carry and admire and have. Colossians says that we are all to teach and admonish one another. It's just the pastor, he's supposed to lead off in cultivating this in the life of the church. This is another reason why I think it's beautiful that there is to be a plurality of pastors and elders. It's so, so important, and it's so wise, and it's so biblical. Why? To have a group of men who are always learning from one another. 
If you got one pastor, who's going to pastor the pastor? But if you got a bunch of able to teach and able to learn men, bouncing things off. I love the stuff I can glean from Pastor Johnny and Pastor Bob. I love sitting at a table. And oftentimes, right, Johnny, we're sitting at the table and there's so much to talk about that our brains almost break. And we're like two hours fly by and then it's done. And it's like, man, and all I'm left to do is go back to my study with all my seeds and try to organize it and so, so I can retain everything I just learned in that meeting. It's one of the beauties of the plurality of pastors, and so as we near time to, to make these adjustments in our bylaws, understand this is one of the reasons why. But church, listen, the word of Christ is to dwell richly in us, teaching and admonish one another. See, the church is to be a hub for humble learning, a place where we can come and constantly learn from one another. What is that? Jesus says it in Matthew 28. It's a disciple. We're disciples, and we're disciple makers, and the pastors are to be men who just lead off and exemplify that. So the first mark of an able-to-teach person is they're teachable, constantly trying to learn, constantly. The pastor is a man who's always trying to supplement his faith. I hope the books in my study is not just display and decoration. You better hope, if you've been a part of our church for some time, you better hope that the, the books in your pastor's studies are getting used. Pray for us. Embody this. I love being a part of this church. You know why? Because you guys obviously love the Bible. You love to learn. And I don't say that as a small thing. It's precious. It's something to beg God for. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates what? Day and night. We can't get enough of this stuff. Don't you want more than a page? It's just so good. So I'm plunging to it. I'll tell you a story really quick. When I was a teenager, I had a dream. And I dreamed that the Bible was like this big, it wasn't a hamburger, but it was, I, I took it like a burger. This is when I just started reading my Bible. I just, I just couldn't get enough of it. And I picked up my Bible like a big hamburger, and I went, and then when I finally swallowed that first bite, my head blew up. Just exploded. And then I woke up. Okay, that, oh, dang. Well, baby, um, actually, oh, you have the gift of interpretation. <laughs> um, but prophecy, prophecy. No, but on the real, though, like, I remember having that dream, and I remember waking up, but just... What, what I took from it was like, how did I get hungry for this stuff? I don't even like reading. I never read a book cover to cover until the Bible. Again, guys, this is all grace. It is all gift. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you're coming from, however smart or not smart you think you are, whatever IQ, whatever your GPA was in high school, none of that matters. You need a touch of God. You need the grace of God to come upon you. And cause you to love learning the word of God. So if you came tonight with a hunger for the Bible, I want to remind you and let you know the spirit of God is upon you. And you have a gift. Second thing, second mark and third mark and we'll be done. Able teachers first, able teachers teach first with their lives. Able teachers teach first with their lives. So the pastor's 
who are handling the word of God and his personal holiness, right? They go hand in hand. So as the pastors at New One Baptist grow in our holiness, we'll also grow in our handling of the word and vice versa. If we grow in our handling of the word, we better be growing in our personal holiness. Otherwise, we're going down a bad track. This is why I believe, I said it already, Paul puts able to teach in the middle of all these moral character traits. Look at this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Paul writes, he says to Timothy, command and teach. And then verse 12, set an example in speech and conduct. Teach, talk, conduct, conduct, example, walk. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself, your life. And on your teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let me rewind this. This is so huge. Keep a watch on yourself, your life, your walk, and your talk, your teaching. Persist in it, bro. Because if you do, you'll save, your, you'll save yourself and you're here. See, knit together in the fabric of Paul's ministry philosophy is this talk and walk must line up. See, able teachers, they teach with their life first. This is why 2 Timothy 3.10, he says this. You, Timothy, however, you followed my teaching. You were there at all my Bible studies. You listened to my talks. But look at He says this. My teachings, comma. My conduct, that's his behavior, comma. My aim in life, comma. My faith, comma. And then he keeps going on. Timothy, you didn't only listen to my talks. You were able to watch me live life. I taught you with my life, Timothy. You see, the teaching ministry of the pastor doesn't stop when we close in prayer and say amen and and he gets out of the pulpit. The teaching ministry of the pastor never stops. It's constant. Brothers and sisters, children, please, please hear me. In the future, could be nearer than not, no matter how skilled or sophisticated or polished or prestigious a pastor may be, a prospect pastor may be, You and I, we must always, always, always take into account the character of that man. Question each area, each attribute in this list of qualifications. Don't just take a resume that has a lot of pretty diplomas and degrees and and stuff that's just written on a page. People can make up resumes today. And even if they're not made up, you still don't know the man. Does he walk like Jesus? What does he look like when he's by himself? What does he look at on his phone? What does his checkbook look like? What is the stuff he splurges money on? What would his children say about him? Later we're going to see what would his wife say about him? What would his house say about him? I, I, was, I got to share a series of messages on the pastorate at a sister church of ours because they were in a, in, a, in a season of trying to figure out, um, they're, they're looking for a lead preaching pastor. 
and they asked me to come and teach on the pastorate. And I was able to talk with some of the brothers and sisters in their pastoral search committee. They had all these applications coming in. And um, a lot of them were even not on island. It was from the mainland. And I, was, I remember pleading with them. I said, okay, these all look really great. But please, please, please do whatever you can to assess the man's character. Like, like it, it can't just be a one weekend thing. He comes and preaches and it's like, oh, it was so good. That's one weekend. Church, what? Character takes what? Time. A guy could get up and do a, one, a home run hitter, but that doesn't necessarily mean he has the character of Christ. He may be really skilled and charismatic and gifted personality, but as we'll see in a little bit, as we've already saw, it's a lot more than that. So in this church with you, our members, we won't let that, we won't, let, we won't get punked like that, right? If someone were to come and just be all polished and whatever, we will pray and assess and look for who is this man before God and when no one's looking. Hebrews 13, let me just give you some verses. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at that. And then imitate their faith. Tony Merida asked this really cool question. He says, what if the church what if the whole church were to imitate the leader? What would the church look like? Think about that. If the whole membership were to imitate the leader, what would the church look like? Imitate the leader's life. See, the pastor is someone that we can look at, observe, and consider the outcome of his life. Romans 2, the pastor is not to be a man who does not practice what he preaches. Luke chapter 6, can a blind man lead a blind man? Now, all of us here, we're all called to live lives worthy of the gospel. That's Philippians 1. We're all called to live lives worthy of the gospel we preach, but the pastors are to lead off on this. And we are to first teach with our lives. You know why? Christianity is caught and taught. You know, brother, this is a hard text to take tonight for us, right? Those of us who teach will be judged more strictly, James chapter 3. We want to live lives that can be exemplary to you guys. And like I said last week, this does not mean the pastor is to be perfect and sinless. That would not be the case. Then nobody could pastor but we are men who are broken down and built up and broken down and built up again and again by the cross of Christ. This glorious gospel that we preach to the crowd and ourselves every single day. And it, it happens again and again so much so where God molds and crafts the man until he looks like Christ. And that is the first way we teach. We teach with our lives. So Jerish asked a beautiful question. How do we know if He's an able teacher. Well, first, you could just, by just looking at him, watch him, observe him. See, man, if you aspire to the pastorate, this is what you're aspiring for. It's a good aspiration, but we just must see what the Bible says it's to be. If my children were to watch your behavior, I'm just speaking to the Christian now, 
because all of us are to live lives worthy of the gospel. But if my children were to walk around and watch your behavior, go with you to school, to your workplace, listened and watched how you treated people at home and in this church, if they were to consider your life, would they be edified? What would they learn? Would they be encouraged? Would they be compelled to follow Christ or repelled to follow Jesus because you call yourself a Christian? These are good questions all of us ought to ask ourselves. What does our lives communicate tonight, church? Think. It's just for the pastor, the answer to that question will greatly affect his ability to teach. Like I said earlier, I think this is why there's a lot of pastors who disqualify themselves. They're not able to teach because they could talk it, they could preach it 10 times better than I could. But if we don't live it, if we don't walk it, if we don't show it with our lives, you can't teach. Lastly, Able teachers, so we saw able teachers are teachable. Able teachers teach first with their lives. Able teachers teach with their lips. Now, this is the obvious one, but they speak from the Bible. They speak from the Bible skillfully. I, I do believe I made it clear how character, crucial character is, and with that said, he must also have the faithful skill of speaking. Now, I say this important from the Bible. we got to understand that first. Um, remember the circumstance in the Ephesian church. They had false teachers who deviated from the Bible. They deviated from sound doctrine. They started to teach myths and endless genealogy, all other extracurricular stuff but the Bible. So the first thing we can identify an able teacher is he stands alone on the Bible. He speaks from the Bible. They need to be men who know that their preaching ministry is starting right here in the scripture. 1 Timothy 5.17, that's why he alludes to, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, the content of the teaching is what? The Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15, he's rightly handling the word of truth. Titus 1.9, he's giving instruction to sound doctrine, and he's also able to rebuke those who contradict it. So the content of the able teacher is the Bible, the word of God, sound doctrine, the doctrines of grace, the gospel, the whole counsel of God, which is what Paul said. I didn't shrink back from doing that for you in Acts chapter 20. The bulk of our content, the bulk of an able teacher is to be the scripture. It can't be 20 minutes of storytelling and illustrations and then another 10 minutes of jokes and then five minutes of a, of a scripture verse, and then, ha-ha, let's close in prayer. Glory be to God. That's how you can identify. Is that an able teacher? He can be super clever and eloquent and passionate and charismatic, but what's the bulk of what the brada is actually explaining and talking about? That's like living off of snacks. It's like, it's like buying one plate lunch, brother, and you have choke sides, choke mac salad, and you get like one small sliver of katsu. And eat like that all the time. You can get what? Very unhealthy. You see, able Bible teachers, the bulk of the, it's this stuff. This is good stuff. And what they do is they take this and they just open it up. And we actually like, oh, 
We feed off of it. Why? Because Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. But they gotta, they got, they teach with their lips, and their lips is full of the word. You see, when I come here to teach the Bible, my concern is not that I'm liked or that I'm funny or if I'm entertaining or, or good looking for any of you. That's not my concern. My concern is that 100% of the people that come here, regardless of who you are, where you're coming from, your age, is that you have the chance to feed off of the word of God. That's my big concern. See, we want to be a congregation where we show up and if the guy who's up there teaching minutes go by, um, God forbid, hours go by, and he doesn't open up the Bible, we would get uncomfortable and queasy very fast. Why? Because we're hungry for the Word of God. This ain't fast food. That's why Bible-able teachers, they work hard in this. I, I want to, I tremble if I, if I give you less than. Why? Because I'm handling the Bible it's the word of God. It's the same way a chef hopes that all the guests in the house get fed well. It's the same way that mama at the potluck is looking around making sure everybody had enough for seconds. Right? Local people, a successful potluck is when everyone's what at the end? Canap. Yeah, they just fall. Like, oh. that's, the, that's the joy of a pastor. That everyone came and they got fed. You had hard weeks this week. It's a Wednesday night. You went through a ton of stuff that I don't fully know. But you're going to carve out an hour or so of your evening and then an hour or so of your Sunday to get to a place to worship God. You know what the pastor better do? Bring the Bible, man. Bring the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is living and active. Only the Word of God, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can save souls, sanctify them, and send them out. Give us scripture, please. Anything from the Bible, please. And give it good, please. That's the pastorate. He speaks from the Bible, and he also does. He speaks from the Bible skillfully. He's got to be able to communicate. See, the shepherd's task, if according to John 21, it's to feed the sheep, and what we're feeding with is a big book of words, then we have to be skilled craftsmen with words. We're feeding the word of God. Look at the ultimate teacher of all times. And I always save the best for last. His name is Jesus. We know that, children, right? That's the Sunday school answer. Jesus, Luke 24, talking to, two, to the two disciples. Remember this on the road to Emmaus? Beginning with Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And he interpreted to them. And the prophets. He interpreted to them. He interpreted it he taught them all the scriptures concerning himself now that's huge genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy joshua judges ruth first time second all the way and he broke it down in such a way that it all pointed to christ that's your biblical theology and then look at this later in the bible study they said this to each other verse 32 did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. You see, that's an able teacher. You ever been sitting 
listen to the Bible, maybe tonight right now, and you're reading something, and then boom, the light goes on, and it clicks, and you get it, and your heart just burns. That's the power of the Holy Spirit fleshing itself out through able teaching, whoever the messenger may be. But that's what an able teacher is. He speaks, he teaches with his life, and he teaches with his lips. This is how we are to feed the sheep, the word of God, and do it with skill and power, because only this can save. He tells Timothy later in chapter 2, verse 4 in his letter, preach the word, Timothy. That's it, just preach the word. There's nothing else to preach. But there's going to come a time when people are not going to want to put up with sound doctrine. But Timothy, you keep your head. Teach the Bible. This office is bound to the Bible, guys. we got to pray that we are like the Bereans in Acts 17. Remember that? They just received the word of God with all eagerness. They just loved it. They just gobbled it. Like it's, there should be a vibe in the house at our church when Pastor Bob or Pastor Johnny or whoever gets up and says, would you please open your Bibles to, there's like this, yes. Would you please open your Bibles to, that's the heart of a Berean. And the pastor is to be first and foremost the man who sets the example and cultivates that in the life of the church. Sheep, we are all sheep, and we are all needing to be fed the word of God. Now, one thing that I know, if you really want to identify if that's an able teacher, is not after the Bible study, people are just crying, or they're moved, or whatever, because motivational speakers can do that. You want to know if that's an able teacher? Is when after they teach the Bible, the people who heard the teaching, they were moved into action. They were moved into action. They come alive in Christ. Hebrews 4 says this, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts the soul and the spirit joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts of the heart. It causes something to happen in you. Colossians 2, it says this, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. You come to life. One of the greatest compliments I get from people who hear the teaching is not Oh, I was so moved. I was crying all night. No, it was like, I love the word, and this is what I'm doing. And it's happening all throughout the church. It's wonderful. But that's one of the great indicators that you and I can, can really see is if God's making a pastor here, he, he communicates the Bible in such a way where it makes sense, and then there's fruit from it. The students actually do something about it. I love this, and I love that God's word is moving you into action, because that's what the gospel does, does it not? I'm talking to so many of you, just restless to, to serve the Lord. It's because us sinners, we really, really, really see and savor this super glorious message. All of us here, 
Even you tonight, if you're still struggling and wrestling in your sin, or you're, you're back and forth about this book, and you're trudging, you're trying, this beautiful message that in spite of us, in spite of our sin, Christ has come. And in our sin, we deserve God's wrath. We should be judged. But Christ has come. And he lived perfectly in our place. And he died on the tree. And he rose three days later. And he, call, he came back and calls all of us to repent. Trust in me. I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll save you. I'll sanctify you. I'll send you and use you. This is a glorious message, is it not? And guys, it, it, it mu this is why the pastorate is so important, because these are going to be the men who will faithfully carry that message, this Bible, to the next generation. I'm going to finish on this verse. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, My child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ. And what you've heard from me, so my teaching to you, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to faithful men so you teach it to other men and then who will also be able to teach it to other men. See that? There's four generations of teaching ministry in this one verse. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the faithful men, faithful men to the able men who are going to teach it to other men. And on and on and on it goes from one generation to the next. I am thinking of the guys after us. Beyond us, parents, we've got to think of our children. And children, you've got to think of your children. <laughs> I saw some of the, the kids. My children? I'm not even married, you know. <laughs> but yes, think of it. And this is good you're thinking of it now. Because if we understand what it means to be a pastor, what the pastor is, and that their primary kuleana is prayer and the teaching of the word, we've got to get this baton to the next generation, church we got to think carefully and critically about this. We don't want to be another statistic, do we? I don't want to be another statistic. I don't want to be another statistic. So as we bring this part to a close, and next week, so we saw his holiness, his handling of the word. Then we're going to see his household. Let's keep learning how to pray, not merely for our pastors, but for our church and for the future generation of pastors. This is big. This is big. Thank you so much for gnawing on three words with me. I'm going to close us in prayer. And as we sing our way out, um, like I always encourage you guys to do, even in the time of song, like already pray. Talk with, the whole, talk with God what you're going to do with the stuff that you've got tonight. So let's, let me close us in prayer, and we'll sing, and we'll carry on. Lord Jesus, we love you, and thank you for giving us the Bible. Thank you for being a God who loves to tell stories, who loves to teach, who loves to give pictures, who loves to give books and words, and who has graciously given us pastors able men who are able to teach. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Pastor Bob and Pastor Johnny, and I thank you so much for the future pastors that are going to, that may be raised up in this church, God. And I thank you for all who are present here tonight, and help us all to see 
that this is our Juliana. Help all of us to participate. I heard someone once say that it's not great preachers that make good churches, but it's good churches that make great preachers. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And so Holy Spirit, as we sing, as we pray, there may be future pastors in our midst right now. Oh, would you stir up aspiration and desire? Would you use the whole body of Christ to strengthen, encourage, mold, and shape that they might take the baton of the gospel and faithfully give it and give it to the next generation? And on and on it goes until glory. We love you, Lord. Keep us abiding in this love. And we pray these things in all God's children said. Amen. is complete, Lord, let our lips repeat that it's not us, it's not me, but it was Christ in me. Lord, let that be our prayer. Fill our hearts with, with you, Lord, and may we be reflect people that are pierced by the grace of your word. Go in peace. <laughs>